So tonight we're kind of we're coming back to our study on the fear of the Lord. And we've been learning together about the, the right fear of God, what it means to, to fear him correctly and to know him as creator and as redeemer and as father. Um, and so tonight we want to look at how it is we grow in this fear. How do we um, fear him more in this right fear of the Lord and that we might know him more and, and be led in this greater and, and fuller and more intimate relationship with him as our heavenly father. Um, and so the first, we're going to look at a, a couple of different points here. The first main uh, point we're going to look at tonight is that this happens from the inside out. It must grow from the inside out. So it's, it's not merely a matter of, of taking any kind of external actions or, or doing anything necessarily. The, the, the author here quotes from uh, the reformers, and, and they wrote quite a bit about the warning about these, the danger of, of, of laying down rules um, that lead to this mere external performance. Um, that that may, it may very well look, it may seem to display a greater fear of God, but in reality, it's just a hollow show. It's no more than that. And when we think about that, we, we're reminded of the, the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day as, as an example. And we uh, kind of think, you know, to Matthew 23, where Jesus gives them these, these seven woes. And he starts to, to talk to them, and he says, you know, hey, you guys will, will travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or a single convert. On the outside of it, that looks like a very pious thing, right? To, to, to go to this great length to, to share and to make a convert. The problem is that they were preaching and teaching a false gospel. And so therefore, Jesus says that when, when they made a convert, they made them a child of hell. And just as much a child of hell as they were themselves. He talks about when they, they would tie mint and dill and, and cumin. So if you can imagine going to your spice rack and, and taking 10% of all the spices and bringing them to the Lord, right? They're very, very serious about this, um, this idea of the tithe and, and having it very exact. And yet Jesus says that they've forgotten about justice and about mercy and about faithfulness. He says that they... They clean the outside of the cup and, and the plate, and they, they wash them and, and make sure they are clean. And yet on the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. And, and then he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So it's very possible then to get caught up in this, these outward actions of, of the fear of the Lord without truly being transformed and, and changed on the inside. And the psalmist says it this way, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So, so it's not merely uh, about 
bowing our heads or about making ourselves prostrate on the ground before him, that's not where it starts. It starts with a delight and a joy in who the Lord is and in the commands that he has given. And so if we wanted to look at kind of a summary of, of the things we've been talking about in, in a way that we can kind of put them side by side, um, we could look at it this way. So uh, we talked about the, the sinful fear of God is, is a fear that, that hates God. Um, a, a right fear adores him and loves him. Um, a, a sinful fear uh, despises him as, as a just judge and is terrified of him. A right fear of God cherishes him as a holy father. So therefore, sinful fear acts sinfully, fleeing from the Lord. We looked at the example of Adam in the garden when he, he hid himself from the Lord. Whereas a right fear of God sincerely longs to be with him. And so we took a chance last week to really explain it and, and try to look at this legal aspect of this inner, in, internal transformation that happens. And, and we talked about the, the Bible uses this word justification and being justified and, and talks about how we're, we're justified, we're declared not guilty of our sin before God. And, and it can take place because of, of what we call imputation. Um, is, is the word imputation. It means that God imputes or he, he considers this perfect obedience and this perfect righteousness of Jesus to be our perfect obedience and righteousness. And he also imputes or he considers our sin to be uh, the sins of Jesus that were punished and paid for on the cross. And so, th therefore, um, through our faith in this good news and in this gospel and in Christ and what he's done, we're, we're accepted by God and we stand right before him, not on the basis of what we do for him, but instead on, uh, we do that, uh, we stand right and just before him because of what he has done for us. And we talked about how it, it makes all the difference in how we view him, right? In, in the, the way that we fear him. Um, and like looking at, at the last slide that, that, that we had up, this, it's this difference between despising him as a just judge and cherishing him as a holy father. And so the, the author of the, the study that we've been looking at wrote this, justification by faith is the essential foundation for a healthy Christian life. And ignorance of it is the very opposite of bliss. And I would, I would say to that absolutely, that there's no question about that. Um, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I have a, I've got a really close connection to this, this idea because I was, I was, probably, what, 22, 23 years old, maybe, um, and very clearly remember I was in a, was in a very bad place spiritually, or um, 
you know, use the language of, of the quote, I was going to be an unhealthy place spiritually. Because this is what, this is what had happened. Um, God had been revealing to me and, and make, making very plain to me the very depths and, and the vileness and, and just the wickedness and depravity of, of my own heart, of the sin in my heart. And yet I was ignorant of the truth of justification. So that's a, that's a bad place to be, um, to know one and not know the other. And so then you start to look at it, and you're like, how can I ever have this relationship with God, with the you know, things that, that I've thought and the things that I've said and the, the things that I've done? And that's like in the last 10 minutes, right, let alone the last 23 years of my life. There's no way he could love me. Just, just look at me. And I remember the moment that um, justification was explained to me, and it clicked in my brain and in my soul, and, and just that overwhelming joy that it brought to my heart. So, so what we're talking about tonight is starting from the inside and working out with our fear of the Lord. Um, the, the Puritan John Owen, he wrote this, to fear the Lord and his goodness. And to fear him for, for his goodness, to trust in his power and faithfulness, to obey his authority, to delight in his will and grace, to love him above all because of these excellencies and beauty, this is to glorify him. And that's what we long to do when we fear him as father. We long to glorify him. Um, another another quote from the author, he, he wrote this, the, the fear of God shows us that entering the life of Christ involves a transformation of our very affections, change of, of the things that we love, so that we begin actually to despise and not merely renounce the sins we once cherished and treasure the God we once abhorred. So it's an extremely important, important point to, to note and to draw out here. It, it's not that, um, so the Christian life is not about not doing the things our hearts really want to do, right? We, we, it's kind of looked at that way a, a lot of times. Um, but actually what happens is that our hearts are so changed, we begin to, to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. And so therefore we despise and not just renounce the sins we once cherished. We're going to increase in the fear of the Lord. It begins in the inside and works its way out. Um, in, in our study, he mentions that uh, there was a guy in, in church history in around the mid-1200s or so um, named Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas Aquinas had his thoughts and his teachings and they had a great impact on the, the Roman Catholic Church, and um, he kind of borrowed from philosopher Aristotle, who who taught this: we become righteous by doing righteous deeds. So, so the idea here is we we begin with the external actions, and then if we do enough of these external actions, then we become internally righteous. Um, well, a couple hundred years later, a guy came along, made. Named uh, Martin Luther, and he begged different with this. 
He said, no, that, that's not correct. It's not how it works. As a matter of fact, he wrote this. How shall a work please God if it proceeds from a reluctant and a resisting heart? To fulfill the law is to do its works with pleasure and love. So it sounds a lot like 1 John 5. For this is the true love of God. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Inward to outward. It must start on the inside. Uh, the second main point we see tonight is that we're, if we're going to grow in our fear of the Lord, then we must focus on the cross. Um, a Scottish theologian named John Brown, he wrote in actually his commentary on 1 Peter. He wrote... Um, Nothing is so well fitted to put the fear of God, which will preserve men from offending him into the heart, as an enlightened view of the cross of Christ. To have this cross in mind, to, to know Christ and what he did there. Uh, Spurgeon wrote this, If you fear God and do not know that there is a mediator between God and men, you'll never think of approaching which, that, that's the, the correct fear of God, right? It, it draws us to him. He also said, if you, if you fear God and do not know of Christ's atonement, um, the word atonement, that it, it, what we're talking about there is, is the work that Christ did in his, his perfect life and his perfect obedience to the Father, his, his substitutionary death, to earn our salvation. That's what we mean by the word atonement. If we don't know that, then how can we approach him? He goes on and says, your fear must link itself with the goodness of God as displayed in the person of his dear son. Or else it cannot be the seeking fear, the fear toward the Lord. Which again is what we've been talking about. And we see that the way in which this deeper knowledge of the cross um, leads to this greater fear of the Lord. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's a fascinating thing. It's, it's kind of a, a process. And, and this is how it goes. It, it starts when we, we see God's grace. We see the fact that God gives us what we do not deserve. And we see his kindness shown to us at the cross. And this illuminates our, our minds and gives us understanding in, 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 in our very souls. And is, we, we understand this radical depravity, this vile nature of our sinful state and who we are. And in turn, it leads us then to weep over our wickedness. So, so we mourn that we've offended this, this infinitely holy God. And then we learn more about the love and the grace of, of God that we find at the cross. And in turn, we see that his mercy emphasizes our wickedness, right? It's like it puts a, a spotlight on it. When we see um, who he is, it makes our, our sin and our wickedness appear as sinful and wicked as it actually is. And then at the same time, though, our wickedness then emphasizes his grace. So the more we see the truth of our own wickedness, the greater his grace 
seems in comparison to it. And so as we, we go through this process, we, it, it leads to this fact of, of a deeper and a more fearfully happy adoration of the Savior as we approach. It's a process. It's, it's almost like a, a, a cycle. It continues to, to dig deeper and deeper into the truth of, of God's justice and mercy at the cross. And we see it leads to a greater fear and a greater love of him. But as we, as we focus on, as we seek to understand um, the cross and, and Christ's uh, death for us, there, there's a, a word of caution here. And, and again, I think this is a, a, a huge key to, to understanding and fearing the Lord rightly into understanding the Christian life. It's important to note here we're not marveling at the cross merely at the forgiveness itself, the forgiveness that it gives. But it drives us deeper in, into marveling at the Savior who brings about the forgiveness. There's a difference there. If we marvel only at the forgiveness that it brings, then what happens is that we can, it can become a very man-centered thing, a very me-centered thing, because we're, we're marveling at Christ merely for what he can do for us. Right? The, the author says it this way. If we're left there, if we're left just looking at what he's done, we could still be full of self-love, not enjoying the Savior, but using him hypocritically as the one who'll get us out of hell free. Some other ways of, of thinking about this. We're not marveling at the gift, but at the giver of the gift. We're not, not marveling simply at, at what he's done, but instead at who he is in himself. Probably one of the the best treatments I've ever heard on this subject, the best, um, best articulation of this, I guess, um, was by Pastor uh, John Piper. And so I, I want to play a clip of that this evening as he kind of goes into and he, he explains the difference in the, those things we listed on that last slide. So we'll, we'll listen to this and then we'll wrap it up. But I emphasize, there are millions of nominal Christians who are not born again and who believe God loves them and are on their way to hell. And the difference between them and a born again believer is what's at the bottom of what makes them happy. As you penetrate down, 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 down to, to what makes them happy and you get to the bottom, it's different. For a born-again person and an unborn-again person. Millions of nominal Christians have never experienced a fundamental change in the foundation of their happiness. They haven't experienced it. They go to church for other reasons. Instead, they've absorbed the notion that becoming a Christian means turning to Jesus to get what you always wanted before you were born again. No change in what you want. 
No change in the bottom, the foundation of what thrills you. Just get it from a new place. The baggage in the hotel room are the same, got a different bellhop. The meal stays the same, got a different butler. And they think they're Christian. And, and they feel really loved because he's, he's producing. I'm, my life is going better. They want a happy marriage, so they turn to him to get it. They want peace of conscience, so they turn to him to get it. They want freedom from guilt feelings, so they turn to him to get it. They want escape from hell, so they turn to him to get it. And every unregenerate person on the planet wants those things. You don't have to be born again to want out of hell. You don't have to be born again to want a good marriage. You don't have to be born again to want any of those things. So what's new? Got a different bellhop, different butler, a different servant to give me what I want. I'm concerned about those people. All right, so I'm here. Thank you. I was expecting. So I hope you can see there then the difference of what we're talking about, of, of, of marveling and fearing and loving and, and looking at what he's done and what we can get from him versus loving him himself and a greater fear of him. So let's close tonight in prayer. Father, we uh, thank you for the time that we've had together. We, we thank you for this chance, this opportunity to, to think together and to, to talk about what it means to grow in the fear of you, that, that it has to be this change of who we are that only comes from repentance of our sin and, and faith in Christ and being born again. And Lord, that, that we might change to, to love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. And Father, to, to fear you rightly and to hate sin. And so Father, I pray that you will be with us now as we go and Father, that we might lead us to the rest of this week to, to worship and obey. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.